everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you find encouragement today as you listen. We are completing our seven weeks, uh, our seven city tour of Revelation, or I should say of uh, ancient Turkey, modern day Turkey, the ancient world that uh, John, the uh, revelator, uh, uh, shared these, these words from Jesus. And uh, so the, the, uh, I, just by way of, by way of uh, uh, just review, these are the cities that, that we've uh, read the letters and kind of looked at what Jesus was saying to uh, beginning in June. And here we are in August, almost ready for fall kickoff. But this morning, uh, as, we, as we look at a brief overview, you can see Ephesus there. That was a very large city uh, and uh, very gifted, and they're doing so many things right. But they, Jesus and Smyrna, they, they'd faced so much pressure and they were experiencing poverty and they're being put down by some of the religious people there in that community and being pressured by the, the, the government of that city. But they faithfully endured and, and they were promised by Jesus to have a victor's crown. But if you were to say what was going on there in Smyrna, they were kind of being crushed, all right? And Pergamum, uh, it was a city where uh, it, it says that Jesus, had, uh, where I should say Satan had set up a camp uh, or a stronghold, and the church was tolerating not just the physical pressures, but literally some dark, demonic things. And, uh, and they were even being caused, some in the church, to compromise, maybe because of this, uh, this spiritual pressure. So that was uh, Pergamum compromised. Thyatira, uh, some in the church had been corrupted by a self-proclaimed prophetess who taught them to deny the truth. And, and, Thi- uh, and uh, Sardis looked good on the outside, but in fact had a, a, where Jesus said, you're, you're almost dead, you're dying, okay? So they looked good, but on the inside, uh, in all reality, they were, they were broken and they were almost on life support. And then uh, a couple weeks ago, over four weeks ago, I've been gone that long, not, well, I was here last Sunday, but I've been gone for a period of time. So we had a little break here. Philadelphia, which we have a Philadelphia here in our own country, city of love, but what's interesting is a smaller church was seemingly no prestige, and it was being persecuted by local Jewish leaders, and in their weakness, we find uh, that they were really reliant upon God, and this really touched the heart of the Lord, and, uh, and he promised uh, that, that, that if they wouldn't waver, that they were going to overcome and experience a blessing from the Lord. And that, that, that's the sixth. That brings us to the seventh this morning, which is the city of Laodicea. And the city of Laodicea uh, is, was located, uh, you can see, just uh, south of Philadelphia, actually about 100 miles east of, of Ephesus, where we began. And about, uh, I think it's 70, I want to say it's 60 or 70 miles south, 40, I'm sorry, 45 miles southeast of Philadelphia. And it was in a very fertile valley. And it was, uh, it was rich in a lot of ways because not only was there was good agriculture around the area, but also there was a road leading from uh, Ephesus through Laodicea and eastward, and it was, a, it was an, on a commerce route. And so, have you ever heard the term location, location, location? Uh, if you're starting a business, you always look for a, a good location. That's why Chick-fil-A on East Washington bought the old Imperial Garden and tore it down because it's right there in front of God. The thing with the Texas Roadhouse, you know, people driving by, and I've had all my friends on the west side of town go, how come you get the Texas Roadhouse? I said, because uh, God loves us more here on the east side. <laughs> no, because we're so close to all of our Chicago friends coming up I-90, right? 94. And so uh, and, and location is so important. 
And this city was strategically located uh, on this trade route. And, uh, and again, uh, it, it, was, it was so important and it was, it was a very uh, vibrant city. In fact, there were three things that uh, Laodicea is really famous for. Are you ready for it? First of all, the great wealth. It was a city of commerce. It was the wealthiest of all seven cities. It was like a banking city. It'd be, you know, maybe like, uh, like New York City with the, the stock exchange and all that goes on there. It was just, it was a hub of financial um, uh, interaction. In fact, uh, at one point, uh, Cicero, one of the uh, people of history and antiquity, he was, it's said that he cashed a very large bank draft in Laodicea. He could, like, he brought a check in one day, went to the bank, and he got $100 million or whatever was the price. We don't know for sure. But it was just a wealthy place. In fact, so wealthy that in AD 61, a massive earthquake hit Laodicea, uh, destroyed a lot of it. And the Laodiceans said, hey, don't worry about it. We've got the cash. We'll, we'll build our city back up, all right? Just north of there, 40 miles, Philadelphia, 40 years earlier, had had an earthquake and, and Rome had to come in and rebuild that, that city because they didn't have the wealth. Can, can you imagine following a Katrina? We think of that in our history as a massive, devastating disaster. Can you imagine if New Orleans said, hey, federal government, no problem. We've got this covered, you know. Uh, we sell so many beignets in the French Quarter. We will pay this thing off. We'll fix all the roofs. We'll restore all the homes and the businesses and, and the lives. Not so. But that's how wealthy Laodicea was. And uh, so it had that in, in its favor, great, great wealth. Also, get this, it had great wool. All right, you say, what? They had sheep. Well, everybody had sheep. No, these sheep were special. These were the Baba black sheep. Have you any wool? They were black sheep. And this was the rage. Everybody wanted wool cut and shaved from these, these black sheep. They were able to breed and they're Beautiful wool, silky and dark. And so, you know, you didn't have to even dye it. You could just have black sweaters or whatever, okay? And so that was interesting. They had that. And also, uh, they had great medicine. They had a school of medicine where there was actually an ointment that supposedly helped the ears and ear infections. And the big one was for the eyes. It was called the Phrygian powder. And supposedly, it was supposed to cure eye defects. So they had a great medical program there in the city. So there you got it. Wealth, wool, and medicine. Doesn't this sound like a great place to raise your family? No, seriously. I mean, what more do you need? It's a wealthy place, right? And, but one major challenge that the city had was this, a horrible water supply. Uh, the, the Lycian, or the Lycus River, I should say, by the time it reached into the valley there, it had narrowed down maybe coming from some of the snow-capped mountains or north or wherever. And by the time it reached there, it was narrow, and in the summer times, it would dry up. And so they didn't have a natural water supply, but what they did do is they, they built aqueducts. And one specifically came from Heropolis, which is about five miles north. And what Heropolis had was, are you ready for it? Hot springs. Don't you? Have you ever been to hot springs? I've been to a few of them in my day. I've lived long in different places. I've, I've sat in those beautiful medicinal purposes, they say. You know, you're going to get healed if you can get into those hot waters. And now, so they would build these aqueducts. In fact, if you go to the, the ruins of, of Laodicea today, you can see these aqueducts, and the, 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 they are lined with calcium from the chemicals of the— if you've, if you've been in a hot spring, they smell sometimes like sulfur, like rotten eggs or other things, you know, and it's—and it's, they— 
five miles, they would ship that down to south to, uh, to uh, Laodicea uh, from, from the, the, the city in the north, which is Heropolis. Okay, so that's that. But also from the south, near the city of Colossae, we, we have a book in the Bible called Colossians. Okay, same place. Probably some, a leader from that church is the one that planted and established the church in Laodicea, just uh, 10, 11 miles to the south. And there they had a mountain and uh, a snow-capped mountain range, right? And uh, it was Mount Cadmus, and the waters would run down. So if you wanted bottled water, you'd go to the, you'd probably get it. It would probably be called Colossae Fresh or uh, Colossae Spring Water coming down the mountains. But the problem is, by the time the aqueducts transported it through the Turkish summers, hot summer days, that those waters would arrive not refreshing and cold, but probably warm, lukewarm, you know, and, uh, and, and not the most uh, refreshing, all right? Uh, so that's what, that's, that was their problem. They had an issue with their water supply, either uh, cold or lukewarm. And of course, if you're, you can't drink the stuff that's coming from Heropolis in the north, that's more, again, for medicinal purpose. If you even tried to water your, uh, your, your, your plants with that, uh, the chemicals would probably kill you. I don't know what that would be good for unless they're trying to get some kind of a treatment down there. So that was undrinkable, and then the stuff coming north wasn't as refreshing um, or coming from the south. So that's, that's kind of an overlook of this city and this place. Now, Jesus is writing to this church, and here's what he's saying. Because there's a, the condition of the church at Laodicea is not very encouraging, as, we, as we'll see. In fact, there aren't any... Uh, uh, there, there aren't any... Uh, commendations. I get these two mixed up. I go too quick. There's no, no commending and, and encouraging and saying, you go, but it's more condemnations uh, that we're seeing here. Look at this as, as, as we see Jesus writing. He says, I know your deeds. And these are the seventh letter to this city, this church in the city. You are ne uh, neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So something's going on here, all right? This was a church that was lukewarm, kind of like the waters that are arriving via aqueduct from either the north or the south. Uh, uh, through the years, the Laodicean church has been kind of considered, if you say, think of Laodicea, you think, well, that's the lukewarm church or that's the apathetic church. And, and Christ's reaction is, I'm going to spit you out. That's kind of a strong statement. A couple of weeks ago, Debbie and I, I was ministering at a church in relationship with us up in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, and uh, we've been in relationship for 50 or 60 years. We do missions together, our pastors, we meet together. It's a part of our network of churches. And so uh, I wasn't playing hooky that Sunday. We were up there ministering. I think it was the week Kathy was speaking here. And, it and then after the service, uh, we did something we've never done before. We got on the uh, Badger Ferry and we, we sailed from sound like the Apostle Paul. We sailed from Manitowoc to Ludington, the 60 miles, four hours, uh, drove our car in there. We were with another pastor couple. And our destination ultimately was Traverse City to a, a ministry retreat for senior pastors. And uh, now we were reading on what to know and how early to arrive and what to do. And uh, we'd paid ahead of time. And they said, uh, you may need Dramamine, all right? This is a voyage, 60 mile Boys, you kind of felt like Gilligan and, and the skipper, you know. Three hour, a four hour tour, all right? So everybody took Dramamine except me. And so we get out over the waters 
And next thing you know, I'm as sick as a dog and I'm heaving over the edge and the seagulls are loving it. No, 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 not true, not true. I didn't take, that's true, I didn't take it, the, other, the rest did, but it was calm waters. I got a little dizzy once from running around on the deck because you're kind of going a little bit like this, but it was so calm that there was no problem. But if I were to have problems, if it was rough waters and I didn't take the Dramamine, I wouldn't be spitting over the edge. I would be, the word is puke, all right? I'm sorry, but that's what it is. And you want to know something? That's the proper word here in the Greek that our, most of our English translations don't get. We'd say spit, but the word here is very strong. I'm about to puke you out of my mouth is probably the more accurate rendering. In fact, one translation says it this way. I know you inside and out, and I find little to my liking. You are not cold. You are not hot. For better, far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale. You're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. Okay, so I just thought I'd throw that in. I thought that's kind of cool to talk. I never talk that way on Sundays, and I thought after Denny last week, I've got to be kind of big and, and, and shocking a little bit, because he's really good at shocking us, isn't he? Okay, so, uh, uh, so uh, here's the thing. Uh, the action and the attitudes of this church were obviously deeply upsetting Jesus. He's not addressing, by the way, drug lords or mass murderers. He's addressing Christians, like probably a lot like you and I. In fact, you could probably say the American church resembles a lot more the Laodiceans than any of the other six churches here in this ancient world. And we'll see that as we just unpack this a little bit more this morning, okay? Christians. Um, now, when I go get coffee from a coffee shop, I always, I don't do coffee real well, but I always like what the drink that I get extra hot because I don't want it to be lukewarm by the time I get down the road or wherever I'm going. So I'd, I'd rather sip it really hot, even in the summertime. I'm not much of a cold coffee drinker. Some of you may be. Um, and, and the same is true. Have you, have you ever had a, have you ever opened a can of soda that's just kind of been in the sun for a while? It's like it just takes away the taste, doesn't it? I mean, it's almost unbearable that caffeine, you know, not that, I'm not saying caffeination, the, the fizz, it's still there, but it's warm and you're going, oh, not, not too refreshing for sure. Uh, and I think what we're looking at here is uh, isn't, it isn't about spirituality being either hot spiritually or cold spiritually. And I kind of grew up thinking this way, but I, I've changed my thoughts on this as, I, as, I've, as I've grown and looked deeper into the Scripture and the whole passage here in context. Jesus isn't saying, okay, it's okay to be cold spiritually, or I'd rather be cold spiritually or, or hot spiritually, but if you're in between, I just don't want that. I don't think the hot and the cold are spiritual. The, the issue is lukewarmness. Okay, because listen, I like a cold beverage. I like a hot beverage, and so does Jesus. Jesus is like me. He doesn't like the lukewarm thing, okay? He doesn't like the Diet Coke sat in the sun, and he doesn't like a mocha that's, that's, that's watered down or warmed up and just lukewarm, you know, uh, at room temperature, okay? So I, I can't prove that he's like me in that, but I think he is. And I believe that's what he's saying here. Because for all I was like, well, Lord, why would you say it's okay to be cold spiritually or hot spiritually, but not lukewarm. Just try to take that out of the equation this morning. It's not about being spiritually cold. It's about not being spiritually lukewarm, which this church was. Jesus is disappointed with their apathetic hearts. It's about Christless faith. Do you hear me? That's what this is about. 
not trying to figure out if it's, he's okay if I'm just really not very hot or if I'm extremely, it's about being just mediocre and apathetic. And I believe the best way to define that is you don't have Christ leading your faith. You don't have Christ alive in your life. You're Christless even though you may proclaim Christ in your life, okay? And that's what I think was happening here in this church. I believe that's what the scriptures are, are showing us this morning. Lukewarm faith is nauseating to Jesus. Here's what, here's what he says there in, in verse 17. I, uh, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing, <laughs> all right? Uh, uh, that's what you call being fat and sassy. Have you heard that phrase? It's like, you know, I'm okay. You know, I've got everything I need. I've acquired, I've arrived, and you know, I'm kind of showing it. I've kind of got a little bit of a, a swagger to my walk here. You know, my bank account looks really good. The house is paid off. Not really. Uh, I'm paying it off monthly. I've got a car. It's, you know, a few years old. Maybe it's new. Maybe I'm leasing it. You know, I've got a pension plan. I've got some toys in the garage. And we just kind of get fat. And we live in a nation where if you work four or five jobs a day, you probably can acquire wealth. And some of it just takes one job. And you have a level of wealth. Fat and said, look at this, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, I don't need anything. Do you hear a lot of eyes there? You know. Now, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. In fact, I think we could argue that everybody in this room is wealthy. Now, some of you are going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You don't understand where I'm at. No, if I compare you to the vast majority of humans that live on this planet, just living in this city and experiencing, even if you're in a place where there's struggle financially, whatever, you're probably being cared for by Badger Care. Uh, maybe uh, Dane County has provision. Uh, even if we're homeless, just next door, and this is so cool, our city built 60 units, you know, for those who are homeless, and especially reaching out to maybe those who are vets who are homeless. This is a great place. We live in a great country. You say, yeah, but there's really discouraging places and dark places in our country, and there's way too much famine, and there's way too much uh, 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 hunger. And, and, and for sure, we should never have any of it in a country like ours. But the fact is, the reason why people are trying to get into our country is because of the blessing that we experience, right? So that's why I would say we relate to what we're seeing borne out here in the scripture as a nation, we are very blessed. We're rich, there is wealth, and there's not a lot of need when it comes right down to it. If you have a shelter and if you have food on the table, a couple meals a day, that's better than most of the world. And now, again, nothing wrong with being wealthy, but the danger is when we find our identity in our financial status in our careers, in our bank accounts, as I said, our autos, our home, our retirement. That's, it's when our identity is wrapped up in the things, in our resources, in our financial status. In fact, Paul wrote to Timothy in the church 100 miles to the west at Ephesus, and he's pastoring this church, and he said this, for the love of money, Timothy, is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. That's interesting, isn't it? So it's not, Paul didn't say to Timothy, hey, Timothy, money's evil. It isn't. We can do so much with money. We can be a blessing. We can, we can resource others. We can, we can feed the hungry. 
We can care for our family. We can support the kingdom of God. We can love our neighbor in great ways, you know. Uh, but this was the problem, it seems, with the church at Laodicea is they just gotten caught up. They got fat and sassy, and they weren't, they weren't using what God had resourced them with to be a blessing, and specifically, they had lost their, their, their spiritual pulse, so to speak. Uh, and I believe that's what's happening here at, at Laodicea. And Jesus' response, look at this. In, in the second part of verse 17, he says, uh, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, did I just tell you now what historically what Laodicea is known for is wealth, healing for the eyes, and beautiful black clothing, all right? So Jesus is saying the opposite of what the reality is. In, in, what, what the world would have said about this group of Christians is, you guys look really good, you smell really good, and man, your wallets are packed full. We want to know you guys because you got nice homes, and, and we love hanging out with our Laodicean uh, uh, Christian friends. And Jesus is saying, no, you're broken, you're, you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind. And it, just, it seems like it's the opposite of reality here. Their lives were rich and their bank accounts were full, but their hearts were spiritually bankrupt. But Jesus, he's not done with them. He's not just condemning them. He's got, he's got more to say here. And he's got a gracious solution because Christ, throughout these, this, these letters to these churches, he may identify a problem, but he's saying, but there's an answer and there's hope. And I, let's, just, let's just look at this, this, this solution that he offers. In verse 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Okay, so obviously they're not poor, they're not naked, and they can see. But Jesus is saying there's something so much deeper that I want to introduce to your life that has eternal worth and can change your community, can change your world, can change everyone around you when you get it. And he's saying, buy it from me. The gold is, 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 is faith. And uh, in, first, uh, in, Paul, uh, in Peter's first letter, he, he, he says it this way. These, these have come so that your faith, some of the troubles and trials, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, gold perishes even though refined by fire, may be uh, proved genuine, and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So gold here seems to point towards that bigger picture of that's, that's the faith that, that we get, that Christ gives us. Now we have faith that we make and place in Christ, but there's also this gift of faith, which is, it comes through the word of God and, and it, it comes through uh, just establishing our focus on him and that all things are possible in Jesus Christ uh, in the good times and in the bad times. So that's the gold and the white clothes. In contrast, there's, there's spiritual nakedness. And uh, now these are people who are clothed vibrantly and beautifully uh, in the famous Laodicean wool. But Jesus is saying, you need a garment of, of righteousness, which is, is not black and beautiful, but it's, it's, it's white, which represents the cleansing of Christ, a brilliant non-color, the, the, the brilliance of his, his, his work on the cross and his righteousness, if you understand what the Bible teaches, there's nothing in me that's of value to receive God's forgiveness and his love. 
It's what Christ places over my life through the cross. It's a robe of righteousness, I think is what the prophets say. And that's what, that's what we see uh, Jesus speaking to this church that I'm gonna put upon you my robe of righteousness and it's, and it's a different color. And it speaks of righteousness, right? And the ointment for the eye, that's just, that's just opening our eyes spiritually. We sometimes sing that song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I wanna see Jesus. Uh, it's, it's, it's seeing the things that when we're so caught up in, 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 in materialism and the blessings that life may give us, we have ups and downs, but when, when things are really going well, oftentimes we become less desperate for God's presence in our life. We're not praying, we're not seeking his face. Boy, you get the, when, when you get the news that you've got cancer, you draw close to the Lord really quick, right? When you learn that you lose your job one day, you walk in and you go, boy, you, you get desperate for God. And these people weren't desperate because all their earthly needs were met. And Jesus is saying, you need to walk in that place where there's a desperation and that there's a, a, a recognition of the, uh, your eyes are open to the spiritual and you, you, you see the truth through my word. And, uh, and he's the one, the Holy Spirit's the one that aids us in that. Uh, so those three things, faith and righteousness and, and spiritual insight, these are the things that he provides and we can't earn them and we can't boast of them. In this church that had everything and they were wealthy, they, it's like, their, their spiritual or their physical sustenance and their, and, their, and their wealth had squeezed out their heart for God, their need for the Lord, and, and, and these very important things, faith and righteousness and recognizing where that comes from as well as, 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 as sight to see. I, that reminds me a little bit as I, as I, as I start to, to, to close this morning uh, of, uh, of the Good Samaritan. And uh, there's a day when uh, I'll... I'll person, an expert in the law came to Jesus and he, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, uh, he asked him the question, well, what's written in the law? You're an expert in the law. What's written? And he gave him two Old Testament key passages, Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus chapter 19. Love God richly with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor fully as yourself. That's about as full as it can get, right? So those are those two Old Testament. And Jesus said, correct. You know, ding, 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 bingo, whatever. He said, you got it. Now go and uh, do this so you're going to live. Well, then the religious leader, and the scripture says this, wanting to justify himself. So I suppose he was doing some neighborly love. Was, I think it was probably selective neighborly love. And I think that's some things I do sometimes. You know, it's, I want to be a, a lover of neighbor, but I kind of I kind of want to select who I want to love just in my own humanity, my own brokenness maybe. And so this is how he was thinking, you know, wanting to justify himself. He was a selective neighbor lover. He says, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus gives this beautiful story. So there's this man going down from Jerusalem, Jerusalem was higher, down to Jericho, way down to Jericho. And on the way, he gets mugged, beat up by a bunch of robbers, not just beat up, they take his money, they beat him up, or I said that, and then they strip him. Can you imagine how humiliating? Not only have you been beaten up, but now you're naked and dying alongside the road. I mean, it's one thing you steal my money and punch me out. Don't strip me naked. I mean, that's humiliating. And if the first guy that, Jesus gives the example, a priest walks by and he probably couldn't look upon the man's nakedness. He thought, oh, man, he's probably been out partying and he partied till his pants fell off or something. And he crosses to the other side of the street and leaves the guy bleeding and dying and naked. The next guy, a Levite, a, you know, a religious leader, he comes, 
And he knows better because the law for both these guys would say, stop, pause, pour into this man's life. And he looks at him, he's naked and he's broken. And he crosses the street and just avoids it. And then Jesus says, but there's a Samaritan. Big deal, right? No, big deal, yes. I mean, this is about, I mean, you talk about racism. This is about as racist as you could be in the first century. Jews hated the half-breed Samaritans. They hated them. And guess what? That creates a retaliation. Samaritans hated the full-blooded Jews. They were Jewish people that got mixed up from, I don't know if it was, the, if I remember right, if it was not the Babylonians, I think it was probably the Assyrians came in and they, they kind of had, you know, they, they, they married into some of those pagan nations and, and they just had this wall of hatred and division both ways. And Jesus gives the example that it was a Samaritan that stopped. He was carrying a little, you know, a, a, a little medical thing. It's oil and wine. And he poured in the oil and the wine. We used to sing that. He poured in the oil and the wine, the kind that restoreth my soul. He found me bleeding and dying on the Jericho road. And he poured. That's how I always remember it's oil and wine. That's, that was, you know, for medicinal purposes. What would you call it? I was like... Uh, yeah, what would you have in your, in your bag? You'd have, yeah, yeah, something. Yeah, so, protect them. He bandaged him up. Put him on his donkey. Took him into town. Asked the innkeeper to give him a place to stay and said, here's two days wages. So whatever you make a day, multiply it times two. And listen, I'll come back and settle up if there's anything more. Wow. And this was a Jew coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho and a Samaritan who was supposed to hate this man, he didn't cross the road. He went to this man, he clothed him, he bandaged him, he applied, uh, he applied medication, he put him on his donkey, he took him to town, he took care of his needs, and he paid for him to be revived and, and brought back to full health. And Jesus says this, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Of course, the expert in the law, even though he hated Samaritans. So the man, not the Samaritan, the man who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And I think this is at the heart of the message this morning. And this is at the heart of the battle and the problem with this church, this beautiful church, early Christian church in this location there in what we call now modern day Turkey, is that they weren't practicing neighborly love. Now, I could say, oh, what is it to, you know, to, you know, to be um, spiritually made alive and, and not lukewarm? You want to pray more? You wanna... That's how I would have preached 17 years ago. Uh, you've, got to, uh, uh, you, you, you've got to read your word more. Yes, those are true. But I think as I'm growing in my faith, as we're all growing in our faith, I think Jesus would say, practice neighborly love. Not conditional, unconditional neighborly love. Love. And how can, we, how can we love our neighbors as we enjoy so much in our world? Uh, who is my neighbor? Lord, show me, not selectively what I say, but who do you want me to show love? I like that phrase. How can I go and do likewise? How can Ridgeway Church go and do likewise? Well, there's a table out in the lobby for Hawthorne. Let's go and do likewise. We're going to begin to adopt a, a school in our neighborhood. It's only a block, block and a half away. And we are committing ourselves to loving the children in our neighborhood and those who attempt to teach and instruct and go, yeah, but I don't like 
public schools. I'm a charter school guy. I'm a pro I don't give a flip. <laughs> no, I sound like Danny Nisley. All right? The point is, is neighborly love is loving people that we don't necessarily want to love. And I mean, it's so easy loving the Hawthorne kids. They're precious. They hang out here somewhere after school in our, in our child care center. Uh, but you see what I'm saying? So this week, go home, go to, go to Target or Walmart or Walgreens and load up a basket full of all that we need down there and let's have to get five tables next week and let's practice neighborly love. Not Laodicean love, but the kind of love that Jesus was offering them, okay? Um, I was thinking about the food pantry. Let me be honest. I love serving at the food pantry. I had to do a wedding in, in, in Oconomowoc last Friday, and I feel guilty because I'm the guy that sets up uh, now. Uh, my intern's no longer here on Friday. I'm the guy that makes the coffee, although Linda helps me. Uh, but she was out of town vacationing. I didn't give her that permission, but she went anyway. And so now here we are. And so I'm feeling guilty. Can I tell you something? I need help. And can I tell you something? Most of the people that come to Food Pantry are not people that come to Ridgeway Church. Now I'm, now I'm embarrassed. No, I'm not. I'm glad that we just attract lovely friends and neighbors who don't necessarily worship here. I think that's cool. But don't you think it should at least be 50-50? Would you want to, if you can come early, would you like to come early around 4 o'clock on the second Friday every month and help us feed our neighbors? But those aren't the neighbors I want to feed. It doesn't matter. It's just, it's a door God's given us. And let's just celebrate it and, and love our neighbors and partner with the uh, second harvest. And, and, uh, and, you know, I was thinking last week as, as, as Denny shared, and I said, talk a lot about Christ in action. And I think, I think there's going to be opportunities and one brother here in the church is going out to Philadelphia to get trained. And I think we're to get trained. I think, we're, I think we should be ready. As several of you men here and women as well. But I think some of the brothers, because guys kind of really enjoy showing their faith by, you know, tearing down a tree or, you know, gutting out a basement, mucking things. And no, I know there's some women are just like that. All my daughters are just like that. No, no. But I'm just saying, you know, I think there's ways that guys... I think we're gonna, the Lord's going to raise up an army of first responders here in our church and, and likewise in our community that can go down at a point. There were two months in the panhandle after Hurricane Michael. Wouldn't it have been cool if we had 10, 15 guys who went down for a week or a long weekend and sawed trees off of, off of houses and, and gutted out basements in the name of Jesus Christ? I think that'd be cool. So I think Christ in action is going to be a, a relationship that we recommit to and uh, and, you know, I, I could go on. Uh, you know, I'll just, I'll just really kind of leave the camp here this morning and jump off the rails. But, you know, uh, the big issue today is, is how we treat immigrants and should we build a wall or should we not build a wall? Let me just say something from a kingdom perspective. It doesn't matter what the, pol the political system does. We are called to love anyone who comes into our world. So here's what I'm wrestling with as a pastor. Lord, would you please raise up a pastor in our midst that speaks Spanish so we can have a service this large in here or multiple services that are caring for the Hondurans or our Mexican brothers and sisters who speak better Spanish than English and they can worship Jesus and come to know the Christ that's changed our lives? Because I am more like a, a Laodicean than my Honduran brother or sister and they are more like uh, the Philadelphia church where where, where, they're, where they're just impoverished and needing help. And, and I'm not, again, I'm, I'm not going all political on you this morning. I'm just saying, I want to talk kingdom. Are we ready to love our Muslim brother and sister, even though they may not be brother and sister yet? Are we ready to care for 
the Somalians that come in and, 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 and some of the other refugees that they, maybe they come over from Minneapolis. There's hundreds and thousands there. And are we ready to say, you know what? We maybe don't agree on a lot of things, but what we can agree on is that Jesus Christ loves you and me. And let me give you a genuine drink and flavor of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Good Samaritan gospel, all right? Now, I may have lost some of you in this. I, I've gone on a little bit of a rant. But, I, I, you know, and I won't even talk much about, but I've, I'm going through this process right now and how I relate to my African-American pastors in the city. And I've sat down with some of them. We met at some of their churches and just carrying their burden. And I know they say the most um, segregated hour in America is Sunday morning at 10 o'clock because we like to go where we feel comfortable. You know, the Swedes worship with the Swedes and the Italians and the whites and the blacks and the Koreans. We had Korean families here and they have a wonderful Korean church on the other side of town. The husbands who are Caucasian would come here and their, their Korean wives would go there. And that's, I understand that, you know, that we, we, we want to feel comfortable. We want to we understand the sermon, you know, if there's a language barrier or whatever. But I'm just, I just... I just, uh, when I read this book a couple years ago, after the, the, the brokenness five years ago that, we, uh, that, that, we, that occurred in our nation and in Missouri, and, uh, and when Benjamin Watson, who's a football player, I think he's maybe still playing, but he wrote this book, Under Our Skin, and he, he so eloquently, he unpacked the problems, the brokenness in his community as a black man, but also the reality of only having to go back like a generation or so where his father, his father's father, jumped in a pool somewhere in West Virginia and the city called up Benjamin's great-grandparents and said, we are draining this pool and you're paying for it to be refilled. And that was only like 1950-something, you know. And, and we say, thank God that we've gone beyond that. But I have brothers and sisters in the faith they have tender hearts because they only have to go back a generation. I remember talking with, with Derek one time who he and his wife attended our church for 50, 20 years plus. Good friend of mine. He said, I remember as a kid when they would drive down my street in Louisiana dragging the, an effigy like a, a, a dummy, a Klansman, driving down my street dragging what looked like a body. And as a little child, he said, I was, I was frightened. Let me tell you something. I can't relate to that. But I think Samaritan love I think the kind of gospel that Jesus is calling the Laodicean church into is one that says, okay, uh, you know, like, I'm Swedish. My people came here in 1880 because there's a potato famine in Sweden. And you can't make lefsa if you don't have potatoes, right? So listen, I didn't fight in the Civil War, and I didn't own a slave. But these are my brothers and sisters who, who carry a pain and an understanding. You say, yeah, but it's not, you know, blue lives. Yes, blue lives matter. Yes, black lives matter. Every life matters in the eyes of the Christ that we serve. But just to be able to pause and to listen and to come alongside and to network with brothers and sisters and to try to be an answer to those who are broken and those who are hurting. I love how uh, Benjamin, uh, he, he posted something that got like a million hits overnight and he didn't even do Facebook. He had a friend put it up. It was after a game he was playing and after the verdict came back and he said, you know, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm fearful, I'm embarrassed, I'm sad, I'm sympathetic, I'm offended, I'm confused, I'm introspective, I'm hopeless, I'm hopeful. 
He says, because I know that while we still have race issues in America, we enjoy a much different normal than those of our parents and grandparents. I see it in my personal relationship with teammates, friends, mentors, and it's a beautiful thing. And then he said this, I'm encouraged. Because ultimately the problem is not skin, a skin problem, it's a sin problem. Sin is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover up our sin or our own. And sin is the reason we riot, loot, and burn. But I'm encouraged because God has provided a solution for sin through his son, Jesus, and with it, a transformed heart and mind. One that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in every human being. The cure for the Michael Brown, he mentions Trayvon Martin, and these were some that were, were shot. Remember, uh, Eric Garner tragedy is not education or exposure, it's the gospel. So finally, I'm encouraged because the gospel gives mankind hope. Amen. Let's stand. Samaritan, Samaritan gospel, Samaritan love, uh, the kind of love, the kind of gospel that Jesus wanted to impart to that church that had gotten a little fat and sassy. And I think sometimes, I think sometimes I wake up and I just, I'm in a place of status quo or mediocrity, you know, and lukewarmness. And I don't want to pastor a church by that example. I want to pastor a church where I'm, I'm feeling discomfort at times because we're not doing enough, because we're not down in the panhandle, because we're not in the dark, discouraging, broken places of our city, because maybe we're not having a Bible study at my neighbor's houses next door who are homeless and many who are in a place of brokenness and and just loving them maybe in a practical way. So, uh, you know, this isn't a condemnation message. This is, I think, one where I think the Lord wants to take us and expand our horizons and how how we relate this gospel to those around us. Now, you, you know this picture. This isn't the picture. You have another picture of, uh, of the, one of the most popular verses in the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation, 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You guys know that one? If any man opens, I will come in and sup with him. Some versions say I'll have dinner. We'll eat pizza together. We'll do whatever you do. You know, here, here's Jesus knocking on the door of my heart. Now, listen, that may be you today. You may be here today and you've never opened up your life to Jesus Christ. So if that's what that means to you, maybe the Holy Spirit's kind of speaking to you. I say, Holy Spirit, that sounds spooky. I'm just saying, something's going on in your life and that's probably the Holy Spirit drawing you to Jesus. And if that's the case, you're on the other side. The door needs to be opened up. You say, hey, Jesus, I'm yours. Take the wheel. I surrender to you. Yes, I'm sinful, duh. I'm broken, yes. But you can heal me. You can forgive me. I give you my life. That's what, that's what that's, that's for you today. All right? I'll pray that way in a moment. Now, I don't think that's what that means. I think we've taken that out of context. It means that for those of you who need that this morning. <laughs> Sometimes scripture stand that. But I think what this scripture is probably teaching as we look at it, Jesus is saying to a church, not unbelievers, to a church that's strayed, they, they put their trust in their wealth and their status. He says, I love because I love you, I'm going to rebuke you. I'm going to discipline you. So be earnest and repent. And he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. So the other side is a believer. Now the question is, have we pushed Jesus out and put it in its place 
my wealth, my status, my 401k or whatever, my, my retirement, all these things. Have, am I just doing life on my own? Have I got complacent, become complacent, apathetic, uh, lukewarm? And, and, and so if that's the case for those, so it's twofold this morning, but I think this is the genuine meaning. It's time that we let Jesus back into the place that we already gave him. It's his house and he's having to knock on the outside. You hearing that? Because we're believers and we've already said, come into my life, take control. So why wouldn't Jesus be on the inside and he's knocking and he's saying, I'm standing. Are you ready to repent of this? Are you ready to repent of doing it your own way? being large and in charge and entering into a new kind of Christian faith that is apolitical, not nothing wrong with politics, but it's focused on the kingdom of God and his righteous rule. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And that just sounds really great to have Jesus back in my life, in my presence. And that may be some of us at a level today. The Holy Spirit may be speaking to you where it's like, okay, it's time for me to invite the Lord back in because I've been doing it my way for too long, okay? All right. So let's pray. Let's close our eyes. I just want to, this, this is between you and the Lord, but if you're here today, you, you, are, uh, you are one that just needs to, uh, maybe you need to, for the first time, invite Christ into your condition. Maybe you struggle with addictions. Maybe you, you're struggling with a brokenness in your life, a failed relationship or something's broken maybe you feel good about where you're at in life but you just you just realize that it's time today to to submit to the lordship of jesus christ he loves us he's god and he wants to lead our lives in an exciting way but it starts with surrender it starts with recognizing his lordship and if that's you today i just want to pray with you right where you're at just lift your hands up i just want to pray with you All right, let's just, let, let me just, let's just pray, right? We're in, and everybody can join in as well. And do, but uh, uh, specifically those who are here, just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the power of the cross that can transform my life, that can cleanse me of my sin, that can heal my brokenness. Lord, I surrender to you today. I hear you knocking. I'm opening the door of my life. I'm inviting you in. Please come into my life, Lord Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. Heal me today, Lord. I surrender to you, Jesus. Amen. 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 If you prayed that prayer, this is the beginning. If it's the first time or just a, a recommitment, uh, it's, uh, this is the beginning of adventure for you. Jesus is taking the center place in your life because you've invited him in. And when he sups with you, when he, when he has dinner with you, what's saying is he's, he's in an intimate place in your life. He knows your brokenness. That's no big deal. He's about healing our brokenness. He's about setting us free from those things that just bind us, those chains that kind of have us down, the, the, the guilt, all the things. Today, you can walk free in Jesus Christ, that he's taking away the guilt, he's taking away the hurt, he's taking away the pain, he's about healing and transformation. It may be a journey, but get on the road, 
It's one of joy and it's one of transformation. Amen? Now, it's not an easy travel. It's not a, you know, but it's, it's with Him at the center of your life. And I, I just, I, I encourage you today to, be, to, uh, to walk in it. Uh, get involved in, in, uh, in, in Bible study. Connect to a church. If this church is appropriate, do it. Uh, if, if another church that you're, that you're from out of town, here's what we want to give you, a, a little New Testament. And, um, and it's, it's just something for you to have in case you don't have one. And uh, also a, a book inside says, Why Jesus? That just kind of unpacks what he's doing in your life today through your proclamation and your surrender to him. Amen? So that's for you. And uh, I just want to have one more prayer here. I'm, uh, and the, 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 uh, the greeters will have those available at the doors. Uh, just ask for that. They'll have some, some of those blue Bibles, okay? Uh, but for those of us who maybe we've made that commitment to the Lord this morning, but we, we kind of understand in the context of things, this is the Jesus who we, we maybe, we didn't even know it, but we've become self-sufficient. And it's like the Holy Spirit saying to you, it's time to uh, eject the self-sufficiency and become more reliant on Him. That's Him knocking at the door of our hearts today, okay? It's that Christ-filled faith versus, oh yeah, uh, I, I, I pick up on Jesus. We hang out on Sundays for an hour. It's tomorrow morning. He's going to be the first one that looks you in the face when the alarm goes off and says, good morning, baby. It's time to roll. And He's going to be a part of your life. You're going to take Him everywhere. And it's a recommitment to the Christ kind of love and that Samaritan kind of love that we see in the Scripture today. If that's, if, that's, uh, if that's you, let's just bow our heads. Just lift both your hands. Lord, you see our hearts. That's probably a lot of us today. Lord, we just, we just want to apply this, this word and this challenge and this promise to that ancient church, to us today as the church here on this avenue, the church of Madison uh, as located here on, on, on East Washington. Now, there are churches all over the city here in Madison, but Lord, as this expression of the church, you see our hands uh, extended upwards as an act of surrender to you, Jesus, and we say, forgive us for trying to do it our way, for placing our trust in things we shouldn't. Lord, we recommit to you today. We surrender to you. We want that kind of love, that kind of gospel at work in our lives, that kind of awareness and eyesight to see and to hear and to, and to, uh, and to model you, Jesus, where we go. We surrender anew to you. Lord, we open the doors of our hearts today. We say, come on in. We don't want a Christless faith. We, we want a very present Jesus in our life today and every day of our life. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you fill us and we receive just your presence today into our lives afresh and anew. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, check out our website at www.ridway.church.